Hello, and welcome to an episode of In the Finest Hour. This is a very special episode because our main hosts are out. And today it's just me, Shaylin Allen, also known as the Lady of Titan. And with me, I've got my two fine ladies, Eleanor Byler, formerly of Seattle area, now of Australia. Hi, how's it going? And I also have with me Jessica Bowman of Team Warhammered. Hey, everyone. Nice to have you both with me today. So to to get kind of do a little icebreaker and get us all warmed up for the podcast proper, I thought I'd ask the two of you how your LVO was. Uh, Eleanor, you want to start? LVO was a lot of fun. It was my first LVO, and I wasn't quite sure what to expect. I've gone to a couple of bigger tournaments, but the sheer number of people at this year's LVO made it sort of next level in my mind. It definitely is a different beast. It is a tournament all of to its own caliber. Uh, how was yours, Jessica? It was actually really good. It went better than expected. I brought a different army. Okay. So it was challenging, but I still had a lot of fun. That's the important part. I, I mean, I personally didn't do as well, so my tournament experience wasn't my favorite, but all of the social stuff around LVO for me was fantastic, and I did actually have six very fun games. So I'm a winner in that regard. That's all I can ask for. <laughs> yeah, no, that is all you can ask for, isn't it? Uh, moving into our subject this week is I'd like to invite the two of you to talk about the social contract with me, which until previously was an unspoken agreement, the so-called gentleman's agreement, and is now uh, has the official ITC uh, social contract all written out now because people were just not respecting the unspoken agreement. <laughs> that wasn't any of us, though. Of course not. Uh, let, let's start with you, Jessica. I, I've got a, a kind of a general question of what is the social contract and how do you feel it applies to 40k? Um, I mean, I'm not sure. You know, I actually haven't really been playing the game too, too long. Mm-hmm. You know, my husband got me into it and I try and do my best to kind of like keep to myself whenever I play. Mm-hmm. You know, I just, you know, just some interactions that I've had with people, you know, it's, it gets kind of, uncomfortable and frustrating sometimes so really whenever i'm at tournaments i do try and keep with you know myself my husband and my team okay what we define the social contract as i I suppose we should start there is the kind of you walk up to your opponent and you two either have a spoken or unspoken agreement to play the game a certain way Mm -hmm. so for example i start my games with hi i'm shaylin allen i'm autistic my intention is to be really fun and upbeat and not rude and very courteous to you, but sometimes I fail my social roles, so I'm just letting you know that I'm trying to be good. And then I describe how I like to play, which is by intention, which is reasonable takebacks, and all about having a good time more than anything else. Yeah, that's about the same. I usually walk up and say, I play this for fun. I don't want to get into any sort of unnecessary arguments. Yeah. You know, that's it. Yeah, so that's you defining what your social contract is with your opponent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, and, and some people uh, will change that in the middle of the game. I've had people basically be like, agree to reasonable takebacks and then retract that in the middle of the game, which is frustrating, as you, I'm certain you've experienced. Yeah. Um, Eleanor, uh, could, do you have anything to add about the social contract, or at least your relationship with the social contract? Yeah, I think it's something that I've really tried to do, especially in the last year. Um, that when I first started going to tournaments, I think I didn't have a good idea about how to reasonably set expectations myself or this sort of interaction with my opponent and I. And it led to some particularly unfortunate, I guess, player interactions. I'm not sure how to say it. Bad experiences. Yeah, bad experiences. Yeah. So now I'm really clear at every game where the score is being reported for ITC, especially Mm -hmm. we'll be really clear about what I expect of my opponent and any sort of weirdness about my list or how I'm playing my army just to demonstrate that this is how I play. These are, here's an example of how I sort of enact this in real time. Yeah. And I think it's gotten better, but I think it's, there's still room for error. Yeah. This last year, for context personally, I attended 19 ITC events and then an additional about eight other tournaments. So I clocked in about 30 this last season. And as such, I've had to have the social contract discussion at least three times per tournament, and some occasions six. 
so I've gotten I've gotten pretty good at the whole defining what it is, but uh, you did bring up a good point there, Eleanor, where the social contract is also about making sure your opponent understands your list and your army. Uh, because while this is a competitively focused podcast and we usually presume you know the armies well enough to not have to ask questions, asking questions if you don't remember something or you they're just playing an obscure faction like Necrons or Grey Knights, for example, that just aren't popular, it can be really important to say, hey, do, do you know what my chapter tactic is? Hey, do you know what my sub-faction benefits are? Do you know how the Acts of Faith work now? These are all things you that you are obligated to make sure your opponent at least has an opportunity to say they do or don't know. Because gotchas are lame. Yeah, I agree. I think it's not unreasonable to pose it as a question to gauge your opponent's familiarity. You don't have to have a set spiel that you give every game as long as you sort of sense that your opponent either has or hasn't played, say, Sisters before, and you go through some of the highlights, and yeah, that's sort of the level I opt for. And, and while you're at tournaments, just because you might be competitive and very knowledgeable doesn't mean your opponent is. Yeah. Um, you can't assume your opponent is super competitive at a tournament. You can assume your opponent is competent. I hopefully try to assume this. I've certainly played less competent people. But, uh, but it, and if you are a casual player, part of the social contract is telling your opponent that. Because if you're competitive and your opponent is casual, you need to resolve that before the game starts. Yeah, I always tell my opponents, like before, during the game, like if you ever have any questions about what I'm doing or my list, you know, I always say, just always feel free to ask. I'm always okay with answering questions during games. Mm-hmm. So speaking of, of the point I just brought up about opponents, both of you are relatively competitive minded, if I recall correctly. Yes. No, not at all. Where'd you get that from? <laughs> I love the sarcasm. I, I, I know you're relatively competitive. What happens, uh, Jessica, when you go up to a table and your opponent is like, I'm a casual fluff player, and I brought my my pretty army, and I don't want to get stomped by a competitive player. How do you resolve that? Those are hard, because, you know, I always go into every game wanting to win, mm-hmm. and I try not to be that person that completely just stomps someone and doesn't try and help the per- my opponent. Mm-hmm. So, when, they're, when I do have opponents that come up to me and say, you know, they're fun players, they're casual, I kind of, like, tone it down a little bit and I try and help them as much as I can because I don't want to ruin the game or the experience for them. Okay. Yeah. So you're, so you're mindful is a good way to describe it. Yes. Okay. Eleanor, do you, do you have anything to add? Yeah. I think being mindful is the opportune word to use it. The idea of having feel bads because you have two different sets of expectations is always in the forefront of my mind. Mm -hmm. Um, Something that I found with players who maybe either are newer to the game or might not be as competitively minded, I don't have a problem with helping them out in the course of the game, like to a, to a point of course, but especially if it's very clear that I have the advantage and will win, I don't mind being like, Oh, if you're really trying to get recon, you might move that guy half an inch over into the table quarter. Uh, a, a common technique that I've heard competitive players use is what you described there, Eleanor, as what's called a teaching game. I had gone to a tournament in Canada, of all places, where I told my opponent that, hey, I'm this competitive player, I want to get the game done, and I want to have a good, clean, fun game, more than anything else. And he's like, well, I'm kind of a little more casual. And I said, I bet we can have a good, clean, fun game and still be competitive and still be casual all at the same time. So we can have our cake and our ice cream. And we did. And and part of that was just knowing that we were going to play promptly. And then because we had been playing promptly, we had time to have the side conversations that a lot of people are really fond of in the social aspect. And still basically talk about, oh, man, I think you made a mistake there. and Have that post-game analysis and things like that. That can be really informative and interesting to any player. Mm-hmm. So I, I've discovered that if your opponent's willing to meet you halfway, you can get pretty dang far, even if you are dealing with a casual player. Yeah. And I don't mean dealing in a bad way. I just mean just like, hey, you know, we're from two different worlds and we want to make sure we don't have a clash. We want to meet neatly. Mm-hmm. Sort of rewinding a little bit to the idea of what the social contract entails. Mm-hmm. 
I think we all said that intent was a big part of it and the sense that you are conveying to your opponent that you'd rather play on intent. Yes. But the third thing we haven't really touched on yet is terrain. And oh, that to me is part of that social contract before game set where you really need to define what each piece of terrain is. And that's actually where 80% of my issues or um, arguments of the opponents end up coming out of is terrain. Yeah, no, Eleanor, that is a very fundamental aspect of the game. And I often forget that I do it because I'm just on autopilot. I just say, hey, uh, here's my personal set of things. And then we define terrain and then we start picking secondaries and stuff. And that's just all part of the gaming experience for me. But you are completely correct. There's been a lot of contention over what terrain is. I just usually roll off with my opponent if there's any, if we disagree. I don't think I've ever had any issues with opponents regarding terrain, because we're usually pretty quick to define everything. I I have a question. I I forget exactly where you are in California. Where are you? We are in the middle of nowhere, Central Valley, California. Central Valley. Okay. Yeah. It's You're basically in the heart of ITC where you are, because California is where that all went down and started. So I think part of that is your meta has it all very strictly used to being defined, and that's all just habit, and everyone just knows. Mm-hmm. Because in California, when I go down to, like, SoCal and BAO, I don't ever have problems with defining terrain. Yeah. But if I go up north to Seattle, I can't. Mm-hmm. So that that's just my experience with the traveling I've done is just, I think your area just has that down to a pat, and... yeah. Different metas are differently good at it. Because I, I travel out as far as Boise when I go westward, and then I go as far north as Canada, so... Wow. South to SoCal, and I go out to LVO, so I mostly Pacific Northwest, but I do hit a lot of West Coast. Yeah, we actually travel back to the East, because we actually came from Virginia. Okay. You know, for big tournaments, like, we go to Chicago for Adepticon, we go to... Mm-hmm. Chattanooga for ATC. We go to DC for Nova. So we travel quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't afford to get on an airplane as often as I'd like. Yeah. Luckily, you know, we're only a three hour drive from LA and from a major airport, flying out of there is pretty cheap. Oh, yeah. No. I, I, I get PDX, which is one of the best airports in the world, but PDX is also an obscure airport. So let, let's talk about conflict. Everyone's favorite thing in crappy, sarcastic quotation marks there. There's a couple different ways I've, I've seen conflict work in, in games is you have, is you just have two personalities that meet poorly. You have people who are just generally problematic players, like that guy who's always cheating and trying to tell you his rules do things they don't do. So how do you deal with the guy that everybody knows is gonna kinda kinda push the rules and bend them and outright break them to win? How do you deal with that guy? Well, for me it's just if I if I catch it, I told the my opponent, I said, at the end of the day, this is a game of rolling dice and moving around plastic toys. So if you wanna take it that far to try and win go ahead. You know, I'm going to walk away from the table. I'm going to, like, take my breather, come back. Mm-hmm. If you want to keep doing it, fine. I'm just going to have a, pretty much going to have a judge sit at our table the entire time. Mm. But luckily I haven't had someone go to that extreme yet. Okay. Uh, Eleanor, have you had any experience with uh, with that man, the, the rules bender? Uh, unfortunately, yes. Maybe more times than I would like to admit. So I think this was something is that sort of is my evolution as a player or being a more having better communication with my opponents Mm -hmm. that this has helped a little bit of it. But I also previously sort of avoided the conflict initially because it took away from my fun experience to have these sort of clashes with other people. And so I initially just sort of was like, okay, if you're really going to play like that, if this really means that much to you, but that's not fair to myself because it also means a lot to me to play this game. Mm -hmm. Um, And so Learning that it is 100% acceptable to go to a TO in some of these scenarios is really useful information. Um, and then another tactic that I use, I keep really detailed notes during my game. Mm. For some reason, people tend to question me, you know, whatever. So I'm keeping t- uh, kill point tallies and, mm-hmm. you know, they might ask, like, I don't remember you getting three kill points. And I'll be like, oh, it was from this unit, this unit and this unit. And yeah, that helps 
streamline the process a little bit. Yeah, I, I've discovered that good note-taking is just a good skill to have because that can help you go back and reassess your game and go, oh, that's where I made a mistake. So it, it's a good habit to have, and it can also defend you from people who are going to be argumentative about little things. Mm-hmm. I've discovered one of my favorite phrases to use, because I'm autistic, so sometimes I find a phrase that it's magical, is if I find someone who keeps bending the rules, is I ask them to show me where it's written. I ask them to show me their codex. That's the best way to do it. Yeah, um, it's basically like, I don't think that's how that works. Could you show me how it's written? I'd like to read the rule, please. And I've discovered a lot of opponents will play tighter if you keep asking to see their rule book. Mm -hmm. And if they pull out Battlescribe, I immediately call a judge over. Because Battlescribe doesn't always get the rules right. Yeah. You should have your books, people. (laughs) It's good. Uh, Digital copies are fine. Illegitimate digital copies are fine but you should have the official books. Yeah. There are my share of problematic players. As I said, there's a guy locally, and we all know who he is, is the benefit of that. And when there's a new person in the meta and he's there, I pull them aside and I explain to them that this person's a little problematic. He's going to try to do this to you. Walk into the game knowing that's a possibility because I believe in fair warning and I want people to have a good experience. But you don't always know that when you're walking into a new meta, so you don't always know you're going to go play that person, and I don't I don't want to give people's reputation coloring how the game's going to be either, because some players, like Joshua Death, has a very different reputation than how I've experienced playing him, so I don't want that tainting my game with him, because I still have fun playing him. So the way I look at it is like, okay, if there's a potential problem here, I'm going to be ready to ask to see the rules, but I'm going to give the guy the benefit of the doubt, and I'd like to try to have a good clean game. Mm-hmm. For the truly awful scenarios in which you are in two and a half hours of living hell with another human, mm. remember that you you can concede. It's an option, and it's had to happen on at least one occasion. Yeah, I don't like having to concede because my opponent is just a major jerk face, but that is definitely a card I've used before, too. It's just like, you know... This is this is fun, and I want to be competitive, but at the same time, I don't need to get myself abused for three hours. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I, I would call a judge before I would concede, though. Absolutely. And that is one of the reasons why judges are there, is they are there to step in and say, hey, you're not allowed to bully this player. At least having moved to a very different... I think just the culture in Australia is different than the U.S., the gaming scene is different... Um, some of the TOs maybe aren't as active as the ones I've experienced in the U.S. And in cases of like direct bullying, abuse from another player, won't be willing to give them red cards or equivalent of red cards, kicking them out. Mm-hmm. And that's the scenario in which you can concede and not worry about it. You know, I, I don't really know anything about the Australia meta, so that's a really interesting thing to hear. I was not expecting to hear that. Um I guess I feel a little blessed being the Pacific Northwest. It's a relatively liberal-minded part of the country, which means people just aren't mean to each other in certain kinds of ways. Jessica, since you've traveled a lot, do you have any experiences like with the Nova meta and the Depticon meta with people really being kind of on the edge of tolerable? So luckily I haven't really had to deal with people who like are bullies Mm -hmm. or anyone who will like, bend the rules or anything i've only ever had one experience and it was actually local okay so somehow he didn't have a score sheet didn't have a pencil Uh oh so ended up me you know like trying to like score the game play my turn then score the game then do all my stuff and then you know clearly no i had it written down with you know how all the turns were going and then he just didn't agree with me so because I had the score sheet. I forgot to circle something. He didn't have one, so the TO like ruled it in his favor. That's lame. So that's the only like bad experience that I've had. But other than that, you know, I've never really had an issue with arguing with opponents or any of that. Okay. Um, I, I've definitely had games where I've argued with opponents, and usually how I start there is like I don't agree with what you're saying, but I want to resolve this in a peaceful manner. Mm-hmm is how I start when I disagree. And I've discovered that usually keeps people from inflating and expanding the argument because I'm like, I want to reach an accord because I'm not in agreement with you and I want to do it peacefully. Generally keeps the blood pressure down. Yeah. 
we, we've all seen what happens when it escalates, and trust me, I've had shouting matches with people, too, because I've, I've had it go the other way. Yeah. Because it can totally devolve that way. Whenever I go to tournaments, the first thing I tell my opponents are, I'm here to have a good time. Mm-hmm. I want to have a good, clean game. And, and again, at the end of the day, we're playing a game with plastic toys. Like, there's no need to get into a screaming match over this. Exactly. Um, and, and that is definitely, I've discovered that I used to not do that, and then I started doing that, and like, 98% of all my problem games went away. Mm-hmm. It was just like, instant night and day. It works fantastic to just say, hey, let's set the tone of, we want to have a good time. Yeah. Um, because I know some people are just like, uh, I, I like, I'm, I'm emotionally done with this game. I'm like, okay, great. Let's stop. Let's talk it out and let's score it because I don't need you to pl- watch your models get picked up off the table for the next 20 minutes. That's not fun. Yeah. And I don't think that's fun either. So I'd be like, Hey, I'd like to stop here. Can we just talk out the last few turns? Cause I don't need to watch my models get pulled. Mm-hmm. And what I do is I'll usually make sure that to give them all the maximum benefit of the doubt points that they might've had and things like that, because chances are I'm winning noticeably, so one or two extra points for my opponent's not going to matter. Yeah. And I don't feel bad, like, discussing those points and giving them to them, because that creates a better experience for them, and it doesn't really change their tournament experience at all, mechanically speaking. And it's basically like, here, have two extra points because I'm not a horrible human being. Yeah. (laughs) And and I don't mean that in cheating way. These are points they could have feasibly gotten. Like, oh, you would have held that thing, and you probably would have killed something this turn. I'm going to assume you can kill something this turn. Do you two have anything to add about your social contract and your social contract experiences you'd like to tell the listeners while we're still here? No, I mean, it's pretty much the same. You know, I just try and have a good time. You know, at the end of the day, it's really like what I go when I go into tournaments, you know, it's more of like, you know, me meeting new people. Yeah. Trying to make new friends. That's that's what it is. Like, I go to tournaments, I meet up with old friends, I would like to meet new friends, and that's just kind of, like, my attitude going into tournaments. De- definitely. As I said, my OVO, my, my actual mechanical score was really bad, but my social experience was fantastic. Mm-hmm. That's what I came there for. That's what I paid the money for. Yeah. You have anything to add, Eleanor? Um, just that I try to err on the side of verbose with opponents, in terms of intent, otherwise, I think that's when communication starts to break down. So if I'm communicating effectively, I think that's yeah moving the game towards a better place. Mm-hmm. Exactly. All right. Well, we're going to take a break, go back to the quartermaster, pick up some snazzy MREs, and hear a word from our sponsors. And in a few minutes, we'll be back at it and talking about some other really cool stuff. Gamers, are you looking to do the conversion of your dreams but just can't find the right bits? Probably because they don't exist? Gaiman with a top hat? Magnus with a pimp cane? Mortarian playing chess? Well, those dreams can become reality with Vritaforge, a design and 3D printing studio that can make the bits you've always wanted to happen happen. Vritaforge can be found through Facebook, that's V-R-E-D-A-F-O-R-G-E, like Forge Worlds. Contact her, and she can design custom bits, parts, in any number you desire, from one to a million. Vritaforge, make all of your wargaming bits dreams come true. And we're back. I hope the airplane noises didn't bother you too much and that you got to hear some snazzy little advertisements that didn't drive you too crazy. So this section of the episode is a little bit different, a lot more freeform. We're going to talk about the female gaming experience. Not trademarked, but with capital letters. Let's start with some really the basic of basics. Uh, I'd like to talk to you two about how you got into the game, how long you've been playing, and what's keeping you here. Uh, Eleanor, would you like to start? 
Yeah. So I started playing, I think, about three years ago. Uh, I was introduced to the hobby by my husband. Okay. Um, basically, I went down into their gaming basement, and they had all this incredible train set up, and they were sort of talking through, like, oh, here's a laser pointer. You get to, like, use actual line of sight and move up the hills. Uh, what edition was this? That was 7th, right? This was 7th edition, yeah. I made it in for the last year of 7th edition. Oh, no. Um, the worst year. Yeah, yeah, it was a constant uphill battle. There was just, I mean, I constantly felt like I just did not know enough. It was it was a tough, a tough time to get into 40K in general. Oh, yeah. But it was the coolest game I'd ever played. I'd never seen any other hobby that had the sort of three aspects of collecting and playing and painting. Mm-hmm. And I just could not get over this idea that you could like measure up hills. It just it made me so happy. Nice. And I started out playing Sisters of Battle mm-hmm. purely because I wanted to play a female army. Mm-hmm. And then I sort of, as 8th edition started, I added in some Imperial Guard and Custodes, but sort of maintaining the um, female models in terms of uh, like Imperial Guard, female guardsmen, guardswomen. Yeah. Um, but now, right now, I'm playing Dark Eldar. I've only been playing for about a month and a half. It was a new choice post sisters beta codex. I wanted to play something with a little bit more flexibility in terms of play style. And Uh it still has the option for the female models, which is important for me. Yeah, no, that's fair. Uh, Jessica, how'd you get in? How long have you been doing this and why are you still here? So I started playing right when sixth edition dropped. Okay. That's when I started actually. So I had, no idea where Hammer was. Didn't know it existed. Uh-huh. Um, I just remember I was at my husband's house. Okay. And he had this room blocked off. Like, it was literally, like, blocked off. Mm-hmm. And you guys know in the movies where you, like, walk into something and then they do the slow motion saying, like, no, like, kind of thing. Oh, uh, yeah. Yes. That was, that was him. And... <laughs> <laughs> I just remember opening the door and I see like his table and his models and it was like, I don't know what I got myself into. I turned around. I walked out the house. Uh Oh, I presume this is early on in your relationship. It was very, very early, like <laughs> a few months in. And then, you know, we, I came back the next day. We talked about it. He explained it to me mm-hmm. and he's a very good teacher. So he spent a lot of time teaching me how to play. So my first, first time I actually wanted was forks. Okay. Awesome. And he was like, that's too many models. I'm not, I'm not going to buy you those. So my next one, I went for Necrons. Okay. And what keeps me really going and playing is just winning. Okay. That's the, that's the easiest way to put it. Like if I was losing constantly, then I'd probably not be playing as much, but you know, I do well in tournaments and that's kind of like my motivation to really like keep going. Okay. Excellent. Can I ask about the Corsair switch? Because I noticed that you remarkably got both the awards for the series LVO, Best in Faction, and Best right. Painted. All right, let's talk about this LVO stuff. I had given up on Necrons. I haven't played Necrons in almost a year, really, because I'm so frustrated with them. And, you know, yeah. And everyone knows, like, I bring that giant pylon, right? Mm hmm. And my breaking point was when my pylon couldn't kill a freaking armager. Ooh. So I was, like, looking through, you know, the top necrons was like out of the question so i was looking through these factions and my husband and i were talking and i was like what are corsairs and he was like the worst version of eldar Mm -hmm. which is which is right so i was like oh there's only five people playing i should try for this one yeah it was me it was my last ditch of getting a best in faction award there you go so I have a very different origin story. I uh, I was introduced to the game by my two friends, Corin and Adam, and they they came up to me because they knew I was getting a sculpture degree at the time and said, can you illegally cast us models? Oh, that's how I got exposed. <laughs> um, what came of that project was one hot mess of a chimera and plaster that I later bought off Corin and then had to get out of the plaster. So I didn't even cast anything, but I just made a mess that I had to clean up. <laughs> The early days of Rita Forge? Uh, very early days. I then did some Dark Heresy RPG, which got me into the lore section, and then I 
went down to my local game shop wanting to play Adeptus Mechanicus. Now, mind you, this is very early 6th edition. It does not exist as a faction yet. And he said, oh, go play Grey Knights. And what he meant was go play Inquisition. And then I fell in love with the Grey Knights as the Grey Knights, and I've been the Lady of Titan ever since. Well, the Grey Knight models are just, like, I love the Grey Knight models. Oh, yeah, no, they're, they're fantastic, and the Bolter rule will help them some, though I don't think it's going to salvage the faction. Yeah, you guys kind of have, like, ally things with them to make them better, kind of like how I do with Corsairs. If I played pure Corsairs, I would have went 0-6, absolutely. <laughs> but, you know, it's... Do you have access to Eldari, so you're fine. Oh, yeah, so when people are like, oh, you're playing Corsairs, actually, you're Nari kind of thing. So that's kind of what I did. Yeah. So I've been playing since 2013. I started competitively playing about a year in is when I started really ramping up my tournament experience because I'm autistic, so I had to build up my mental fortitude to do tournaments. And going to big ones, like my very first really big one, I like had a meltdown, so I had to like very carefully build myself up. Yeah, like, we, my husband and I didn't even know what ITC was until we moved to the West Coast, like, because we, we didn't have that much ITC events in the East Coast. Yeah, no, it is percolating out that way, though. That's the cool thing. Yeah, it is definitely. So we had a couple of our teammates come out from the East Coast, and they're just like, how do you do this? We don't understand. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, ITC does take some learning, but once you figure it out, you're like, good. You're going. Yeah. So, uh... This leads to the next question, which is just kind of a little bit more on the About Me section. What armies do you play? And uh, what, what what armies are... What styles of play, I guess, are you interested in? Yeah, so... But, you know, Necron is my very first army, and I was more combat-driven with those with that army. Okay. And then I switched to playing Tyranids, which that was a very shooty army for me. Mm-hmm. I just kind of, like, bounce around. You know, like with with Necrons, like or combat, and but that's more what I'm drawn to is more mm. combat stuff. Okay, so 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 you you like melee based armies? Uh, do do you like ones that are more finessey or ones that are more I'm slamming the hammer inside of you, deal with it? I like the slam into you and have you deal with it kind of person. Okay, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I I that's a tactic I'm very fond of as well. Eleanor, what about you? Um, my. Favorite part about playing Sisters in the 8th edition was the just super fast Seraphim plus Celestine, just sort of all over the board. They could be wherever you wanted them. Oh, yeah, that was pretty fantastic. I played that, too. And so that's... so annoying. Yeah, it was really very annoying. annoying. <laughs> she was, it was beautiful. Irritating as heck. Um, so that was something that I was trying to um, incorporate when I was playing this Dark Eldar build, which works out well with all of the quick transports and flyers. I can be lots of places on the board. Um, and I tend to go for list styles that are a little bit more like a scalpel and uh-huh. require a lot of practice to figure out their best application in a given scenario. I am personally fond of Alpha Strike armies. I like being up there aggressively in the face um, with threat overload tactics. Grenades are really good at that. I do, I do play Finesse Elite armies because I play Grey Knights, so I... I, I'm learning about play other playstyles right now. That's my goal this year, is to learn about other playstyles and stuff and try to see if I can really find my groove there. Partly make me a better player, but also partly to expand my understanding. And that's the best part about playing other armies, is that you also understand the rules. Yeah. So whenever you do play against other people, you know their rules as well. Uh, well, it can also be helpful because your opponent's like, and they're like, oh man, I don't remember how this works, and you can just tell them. Yeah. Let's move on to the to some of the hard questions. So, how do you think being a woman has shaped your wargaming experiences? Uh, Eleanor, you want to start on this one? Oh, that's it's broad. Um, I I think I was really lucky when I started out gaming. I was playing with a big group of people that were really um, I don't know family oriented and were extremely patient with me and willing to you know play the six hour practice games of me just gruesomely going through every step mm-hmm. minute by minute. I think it was maybe one of my first tournaments where it was sort of like, a, oh, this is a, you are literally the only woman here and you will basically never see another woman except at a couple of really big tournaments that woke me up to that reality. Yeah. It really does come out at the competitive level. And I think the most 
the biggest interactions where I, I see this come into play is when you're meeting new people and they don't know you or know what you're about and mm-hmm. assumptions often can make for yeah. bad feelings. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely ask a little bit about the how you deal with being the only woman in a room question. That's definitely one we're going to see in a moment. But uh, Jessica, how, how do you feel the being ladies shaped things for you? My very first experience with that is I remember going to a tournament with my husband and we were all just sitting there. Mm-hmm. The TO was doing the introductions and he starts handing out tournament packets. And I'm sitting there next to my husband, next to our friends. And he's handing them out, and then he skips me. Oh. That's my first experience. Like, he skips me. And then I'm there, like, ra- like raising my hand, like, you know, I'm I'm playing, too. And he's like, oh, I'm sorry. I just thought you were hanging out and watching today. And I was like, no, I'm here to Dad. play. And it's funny because I ended up, like, second. But there you go. Spite all those are jerks. <laughs> For being a female, it's just sometimes it gets very frustrating. And it gets also sometimes very uncomfortable Mm -hmm. because I do get like the really long, awkward stares when I walk across the room. Yeah. Or, and unfortunately, you know, a couple of years ago we were at, I think ATC and I was playing. I didn't hear what was going on behind me, but I guess there was a very inappropriate comment Mm. that was made. And, you know, my husband was two tables down, but my husband's best friend was next to me. He was very quick to jump in and be like, that's, that's not cool. You can't say those kind of things. Mm-hmm. At the same time, my opponent assumed that I was new. Uh, yeah, that's the worst. Two whammies right there. So I, I, I've had a very interesting bag myself. I've had, uh, I had opponents assume I'm new and then proceed to get their butts kicked because they were playing super softly and super gently and not making good deployment decisions. It's frustrating to win because my opponent didn't take the game seriously. I hate that. Mm-hmm. I, I, I've had the whole being the only one in the room and because I'm not socially attached to men I play with uh, other than as friends uh, I've discovered most TOs don't assume I'm hooked up with somebody because I'm not sitting next to someone at a romantic distance if that makes any sense mm-hmm. and I'm sitting there looking at them like packet, 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 packet they usually give me my packet and since I've been going around to tournaments very frequently in the area, I walk in, I've got my army bag, and I'm setting it down, and I'm walking the walk and talking the talk, and everyone's just like, people in the Pacific Northwest know to expect me. So I, at least I have the dignity of being treated seriously now, but it did take me a couple years of just kind of persistence to get there. Mm-hmm. I've noticed that there are a couple ladies that started going around to the tournaments I went around, and they're like, it's so nice, it's like all the guys are trained. I'm like, yeah, that's because I trained them for you. I've discovered that uh, most of the time it doesn't matter, but there are bad stories. I had an opponent rolling dice so hard they ricocheted off and hit me in the breasts, and then he did it again, and again, and then I had a call to on his ass. Ew. Yeah. Ew. Ew. Don't throw dice at your opponent, okay? Just don't. That's awful. No, I think that's just, that's like rule one of going to a tournament. Don't throw shit at your opponent. I, I think in one way that gaming has or being female has shaped my gaming experience uh, is the fact that I I feel like there's less anonymity as a female player. Yeah, everyone knows who you are. Everybody knows who you are. They they know exactly what you're all about. They probably have you know followed you on whatever social media or follow your tournaments. And I think that puts a lot of pressure on me in game to act a certain way, to be extra friendly in addition to being a good opponent or to not have, you know, emotional reactions to bad scenarios because I feel like I'm representing all of womanhood. And so you feel the pressure of having to represent women when you're at tournaments. Yes, because those snide comments like, "Ugh, you're are you going to cry because you lost kind of thing? It's like, uh, Jessica, do you have you felt that pressure? Because I know I have. I actually, I haven't, to be honest, you know. Okay, that's fair. You know, because growing up, you know, I grew up in that very, like, in a very competitive family. Okay, yeah. So, like, the competitiveness, it's always been about me. So, and plus, like, I don't really feel pressure going into tournaments because, honestly, just don't care that much. There you go. (laughs) It's just like, I'm, like, again, like, I want to go in, I want to have fun, I want to meet new people, I don't want to put that added pressure like I have to do well to 
make us females look good. Like I, mm-hmm. that is the last thing on my mind. Okay, fair enough. Mm, I think it's less about making women look good, but more about um, maintaining a good reputation because you're no, you're extra noticed. Yes, I, I think that's it. I just feel like I'm under a microscope and you really can't, you know, behave badly or, you know. I mean, I've had had tournaments where, like, I've had bad tournaments. Everyone has had bad tournaments. And, you know. That's normal. I've had people come up to me and go, oh, you know, you didn't do as well this last time. And I'm just like, doesn't, like, it doesn't matter, like, to me. Like, I know, like, where my level is at. I know where I stand at tournaments. I never try and, you know, put that part, that pressure on myself to do better than that. Yeah. You set your expectations versus where you are. You don't try to exceed ex- and you try to exceed expectations in the sense you're challenging yourself, but you're not trying to put anything else additional in there. Yeah. So that's why it's like that's why I never really go in with any like I'm never really nervous going into games. Yeah. Um. It's just because one, I just don't care as much, and two, it's more like the worst thing that happens is you lose. Yeah. And with my thing is, I always hope for the best. And I expect the worst. So, like, when I know what the worst outcome is, is this? It doesn't really matter that much to me. Fair enough. The next section is is what what is some advice you would give other players for playing someone who is either female or non-binary when dealing with a female player? Like, what what are things you've always wanted your opponent to do that they don't seem to do every time? Don't assume I'm new. Okay. That's the big one. There you go. It's like, if I'm going to come to a big tournament like LVO, at least give me the respect to know that I'm competent enough to know my own roles. Absolutely. Um, my husband and I have played the same person in a tournament, and they have told me every role, like, oh, you're hitting on threes, you're wounding on fours. They've explicitly said every single role that I do. And he played the same person, and they said nothing to him the entire time. Yeah. I played against your husband oh. at... At Nova, like two years ago. Yeah, yeah, you did. Mm-hmm. I was very excited. I never. Shaylin was the only other woman I'd ever met playing 40k, and I was. We actually played each other, so that's that's kind of fun. We did. Um, I have played a total of four games against other women. One. I played one female. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I I opened my first barrier open playing another lady. That was that was that kind of freaked people out. I think I've played my husband more in tournaments than females. Uh, that is definitely the case. Um, yes, I would also agree with that. So uh, the thing I would say is don't assume women are romantically attached to people because I'm one of the people who's not romantically attached to another player. So having people ask me if I'm dating Sean or just tell, assume I am and then making actions accordingly is really frustrating for both of us. Like... It's fine the first three times, but when it gets to time 27, we're both tired. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's even a good rule of thumb for me, too. It, the number of times I've had someone ask me, oh, where's your husband? Or, like, should I go find your husband for you? It, it just rubs me the wrong way. Yeah, so. Come on, I'm here as a female gamer by myself. Please please grant me that basic dignity you give your opponent, other opponents. Yeah, there was one year at Nova, I was sitting there at my table waiting for my opponent. Uh-huh. He walks up and he asked me, like, oh, are you sitting here for your husband? Like, is he on his way? <laughs> I was like, no, like, I have my name tag. It says player. I am playing <sighs> against you. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, Jessica, did you not look at your opponent's name? I mean, there might be a, a dude out there with the name Jessica. We don't know. I don't assume. That's true. That's true. I, I won't make any assumptions there, but... When you see a name like Jessica or like Shaylin or like Eleanor, there is a good chance that person is female. So you might you might be going, oh, this like Jessie is one where it's like you don't know, but like Shaylin, probably a woman. <laughs> Have you ever gotten asked if you were lost at a tournament? Uh, yes, once. Yeah. Uh, I, I sat there and I actually had my codex in my hand and I held it up and I said no. <laughs> And the guy walked away feeling looking a little sheepish. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, because I haven't been out to Adepticon and Nova, so I haven't had any experiences like that. But after having, and I had a lot of those in the beginning, that kind of problem, and I just basically told them, that's not okay. And I went and told the TOs, that's not okay. And then the problem stopped after about a year. Yeah. 
So it, it's, it's just a matter of informing people. Uh, the basic rule of thumb is don't treat me special. Mm-hmm. Treat me like you treat your male opponents. Give me the basic dignities you give them. In play and out. <laughs> Um, if you're a type of guy who likes making raunchy jokes, that's totally fine. I don't, as long as it's witty, I don't care, but you, maybe ask about the raunchy jokes is the only thing I would say, but just treat me like you treat any other player. <laughs> yeah, then I think jokes are one thing, but there are so many scenarios in which it, it is worse than jokes. I, I played a guy who had taped porn star cards to all of his vehicles. Ew. And had them all named. He had them all named, and then he like really graphically described how they were like dying and being destroyed in game, like at like very inappropriately in my mind. That guy's a creep. Very creepy. Very creepy. But like clearly, he played this way against lots of other guys who'd never said anything to him. Yeah. And if you have a guy like that in your meta that does that, and you realize that that's maybe not welcoming play play for a lady, um, talk to him about it. Confront him and basically say, hey, stop making your vehicles into porn stars. I know you play Slanesh, but you don't need to be thick-headed about this. No, it was not Slanesh. It was Space Wolf. There was no reason. What? <laughs> no words. <laughs> if, now you're just being an asshole. What, what advice would you give... Uh, potential female or uh, non-binary players. Uh, I, I mean, my first bit of advice is, if you're on your Lady Day, bring extra. Just don't underpack that. For the love of God, that's gonna suck. Yeah, so we actually had a friend. Her, She plays Guard. Mm-hmm. Um, last year was her very first LVO. Oh, excellent. She asked for advice, and I'm just like, you know what? Just have fun. You know, you're gonna get some looks, so that's expected. Mm-hmm. So... Just have fun, and, you know, at the end of the tournament, she was like, I had a great time, but it was a little too competitive for her. Yeah. So now she's just, like, shifting over to the narrative side, which is just fine. Yeah, and that's the great thing about those big events, is they have narrative and friendlies, so you don't have to play in the top dog competitive. That's That can be non-optional, or an option. I mean, the biggest the biggest advice I can give to females is just have fun. Don't let, don't let any, like, anyone try to, like, intimidate you just because you are a female. Mm-hmm. You know, like, you are there for a reason. You're there to play. You know your stuff. Just don't get walked over. Stand up for yourself. That's about it. Okay. You got anything to add, Eleanor? Try going to tournaments. I think, actually, some of the bigger ones can be a little bit more, um, I don't know if the word is comprehensive, in terms of player fairness. And some, like, maybe your local game store might not have, maybe it's all basement neckbeards or something, but there's at least an established protocol of some of the bigger events. That's true. In terms of getting inappropriate fl- uh, behavior flagged. And then also go with someone you know. Yeah. It, yeah, it makes it one. that much more bearable. And and fun. You have someone to meet up with in between rounds and eat food with, and you're not just standing around feeling awkward. Yeah. Uh, it, I mean, I've done the t- going to tournaments by myself. Uh, my first LVO, I went with Joshua Death, who I had kind of met in passing at one event and I was more just rooming with him to save money. And I had a fantastic time. I got to meet like thousands of new players, partly because I didn't have a social group just to hide with by default. It was pretty fantastic. I also understand I took some personal risks doing that. I was staying in a room with complete strangers. So I, I, I agree with the whole, you know, go with people, you know, I do agree that bigger events have a certain level of professionalism and decorum that is just a part of the set expectations of a GT versus an RTT. That said, if you are aware of your local meta and your local meta is super warm and welcoming, you should totally go to RTTs there. Absolutely. That that shouldn't be a problem. And as I said, the Pacific Northwest, I've yet to find an RTT store where that's problematic at all. And in fact, I do see other women at RTTs. So i I'm, I'm going to say you're more, much more likely to see another woman at a big major GT, and you're, the, the professionalism level there will help you, but RTTs can be fun if it's in the right meta. That's the problem. Some metas are just not female-friendly. So, and, and the only way you're going to find that out is going into the local store and figuring it out. Yeah, and then there's, there's no need to be scared going into, just going into your local store. Yeah. Because, like, when I first started playing, you know, I went to our local store and I was watching my husband play and mm-hmm. it was a little bit awkward for me because there were no females there. So, of course, all the eyes like 
drew to me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this one guy on our team, you know, he told me his girlfriend is actually, like, almost scared and to, like, go to these stores. Yeah. Because she doesn't want to feel uncomfortable. Yeah. It can be a lot of attention. And yeah. I think that's something that a lot of my opponents are incredibly surprised by. I was playing um, the Saturday or Sunday RTT at LVO and just the number of people who came up to say hi to me that I did not know who just wanted to chat with me for something. I have no, you know, yeah, you have no idea why. Um, and he was like, I've never seen somebody get just approached by so many people. And I'm guessing it's only because I'm female. Mm-hmm. So for me, there's a certain part of that. Uh, I have be- started to become a household name in the 40k community because I'm a female that's been persistent for several years. So in the Pacific Northwest, they're like, oh, that's Shaylin. Um, and I've had people introduce me to their friends from like, hey, is this my friend who's new to the game? I'm going to introduce you to you. And I'm like, okay. So I've definitely been on the receiving end of some of that because it's basically like they want that guy to know who I am. And then at the same time, they're like, oh, hey, you're the Lady of Titan. You're that great night player. Oh, man, this is going to be so great. I brought demons. We're going to smash into each other. It's going to be great. So I, I get the other side of it, too. Um, where, you know, when you become a kind of known player in your community, you have a reputation for better or worse, so it precedes you. Yeah, I did not mean to imply that it was bad to, to be approached or that I yeah no don't want to be approached. More just a, it can be unexpected if you're not, if you've never ex- experienced it before. Yeah. Um, and, and that does happen a little, it's a little easier being a woman because you are an anomaly in the statistical type of player to get that happening to you sooner. But my friends, Sean and Josh are both very well ranked, high ranked, well-known ITC players. And they have a lot of people approaching their tables because they're kind of famous within our community. So that's normal too. Um, It's just a little more faster happening because you're a lady, which is strange, but whatever. I would say approaching people. Great. Being friendly and asking questions about their army while they're not in the middle of a game is great. But there are really distinct lines of, like, don't call them a sweetheart. Don't ask to take a picture of them. Don't, don't ask for a hug. Me. That's a big thing. Don't touch me. Yeah. Like, that's my don't big thing. Don't rub my back. Asking for a hug is okay. I feel asking for a hug is okay because I'm a hugger and I love hugging people. So asking is okay, but assuming is not. I had someone who I met on the internet go up and hug me, and he didn't tell me who he was at my second LVO, and I kind of flipped a shit. Um, but usually just stick to the handshake, and I, I will be the one to offer a hug, because I think that's more socially appropriate. Uh, what about you, Jessica? The same is, like, I don't mind people coming up and, like, speaking to me, asking questions. The My big thing is, if I don't know you very well, I just don't want people to touch me. Like, that is... Rule number one, because I had an incident. Yeah, no, it, it's respect my body, please. Don't touch it unless you have permission. Or it's like to respect my my boundary. Like, don't come in my circle. Like, yeah, you know, when people talk to me, like they seem to like to get really close to my face, and I just don't like that. Like, I have this thing where it's, I don't like you know people talk that close to me. Yeah, no. Like even when we're playing a game, they want to like reach over the table and just get really close up to me i'm just like i can walk around <laughs> to you and we can have this space between us where you don't have to be an inch from my face yeah seriously like like that's rule number one for me because i had an incident where someone touched me and i just did not like it my husband certainly did not like it yeah no that's just that's the biggest thing for me was that something you had to get resolved with a to or just no it was actually left. it was the the day was done you know we were done playing and, you know, at these tournaments, you know, people often drink a lot. Oh. And, um, and, you know, this person was just very drunk. And I was just sitting there. My husband was right next to me. And he just comes up and he's like, he just kisses me on the cheek. Oh, no, not cool. Not cool. Oof. I mean, he, like, did it and he got him and walked away. And then my husband was very, very, very upset. Yeah. I've had a drunk player crash into me because he was being clumsy and we were playing in tight, narrow table situations, but that's very different than kissing me. Yeah. yeah. And especially, like, especially because I know the person we've played before. Okay. He knows, I, he knows I'm married, and, obvious, and he knows, like, my husband is sitting right there. Yeah. 
Yeah. But that's that's one of the worst experiences that I had. Yeah, so uh basically respect our bodies, don't touch us without our consent. Um I make a point like in really tight quarters if I'm gonna butt bump with somebody to say, Hey, I'm back here, it's okay if you bump bump me, it's not okay if you grope me. Yeah. Preemptively it's okay to touch to like do the butt bump. That is all I'm giving you the okay for. Making it real clear there. Uh and usually it's fine. Yeah, because uh, there was, like, some areas in LVO where the tables are a lot narrower. Yeah. So, you know, I would tell my opponents, like, I would, like, tap them on the back and be like, I'm about to walk through. If I butt bump you, I'm sorry kind of thing. I, I, I give the guy behind me the courtesy because he may not realize there's a woman playing behind him. Because usually what happens is he'll butt bump me, realize he hit a woman, and then have an episode and make an incident out of it. I'm like, okay, no, no. I'm going to tell you I'm behind you. I'm going to tell you it's okay for the occasional butt bump. That is all you have the okay for. Mm-hmm. We should be good. Yeah, and you can obviously tell if, if the butt bumping is an accident or if they're used to being on purpose. You really can tell. <laughs> yeah, you can absolutely tell. No, no, you absolutely can. And I and I basically I just tell that guy that, and it's like, oh, okay. And then I avoid having the whole, he butt bumps me in the middle of the game, freaks out, and makes an apology incident out of it. And the answer is, guys, guys, I walked into that tournament expecting it would happen. We're in close quarters. But at least they say they're sorry. Like, there's yeah, actually, that that's actually apologize. Yeah. Or at least, like, or also they apologize too much, and then I was like, I get the point. Like, you're sorry for touch for butt-bumping me. You don't have to apologize every time. Yeah. I And, and you know, I'd, I'd rather them be apologetic about it than not, but that's why I just go around and I try to preempt it by saying, hey, I'm expecting this to happen, and I'm consenting to have some of it happen within reason, mm-hmm. and then we're all fine. Yeah. On a similar note for people out there, if you don't know your opponent's preferred gender pronoun, you can ask them, but it is just basic human decency to refer to somebody by their preferred gender pronoun. Like, Yeah, seriously. There's no excuse, really. You meet lots of new people. It is not that hard to switch from he to she or they to them. Uh, or, or say, I'm going to try and I'm going to fumble. Because I'm autistic, so like changing pronouns can actually be really difficult for me, but I admit that, and I'm going to try really hard, and I do try really hard, and that's that's what 80% of those people would prefer. Absolutely. Treat people with dignity. Just respect everyone. It's not that hard. Um, there are a lot of actually transgendered and non-binary people where I play. Portland is a, has, a, has kind of a huge amount of them up there, so... So that's not atypical. I've met a lot of non-binary people in my 40k experience, and I even had the the blatantly super gay guy at one of my tournaments, and we got to check out butts together. It was pretty funny because <laughs> <laughs> I was single at the time. So let's do a quick closeout here. Um, what are your 40k goals in terms of like you know the game, hobby, and social? Maybe giving Necrons another chance. Yeah, or at least waiting till after the March FAQ to give them another chance, maybe. I mean, they've they've broken my heart too many times. I know, but I just I just can't seem to let them go. I, that that's like you go to the RTT, like you're taking the RTT, and you're like, okay, I want to win the games, I want to be competitive, but I'm a little burnt out right now. You know, what? I'm gonna go back to my love, and I'm gonna play the army that I'm gonna have the most fun with. Yeah, I I do want to switch things up a little bit, you know, because I've been playing. You know, Necrons, Eldar, Dark Eldar for so long now. Yeah. I do want to switch it up. I, would, I do want to challenge myself a little bit more and play something new. Okay, cool. Uh, do you have anything going on, Eleanor? Any things you're, you're aiming for? I think the thing that appeals to me the most about 40K is that it is this hobby that you can take periods of leave from a month or two and not paint for six months or paint every day for a month. And it yeah, it has enough depth to it that you can come back at and get into the hobby, which is nice because we all have lives that outside of the game that can take over at times. So yeah, goal wise, I, I can't think of anything specifically except to master dark Eldar. Okay. Since that's my new army. But other than that, I'm excited. Are you doing to, pure dark Eldar? I've been doing pure dark Eldar mostly because of that underdog thing that I mentioned, I just cannot bring myself to ally in Eldar. And on some level, I tell myself, oh, it's, you know, it's fluffy, right? The Dark Eldar so anti-psyker, blah, blah, blah. But it is 100% a handicap of my list where I'm uh, not I'll allowing talk, myself to... Don't talk to me about handicap list. I play <laughs> I, I play Greatites. <laughs> like, we get it. We get it. 
playing Corsair at LVO was by far the hardest thing, mm-hmm. like Warhammer wise. Like, because I took it to a couple RTTs, and I was like, wow, they are terrible. Yeah. Why am I like after losing my first two games at LVO, I went, this was a mistake. Oh. But you turned it around. But I, I did win my next four games, so I did turn it around. There you go. That that's all we ask. I'd first like to thank you two again for coming onto the podcast with me and having our Ladies 40K night. I'm going to do our quick outro now. If you'd like to contact In the Finest Hour, you may email us at inthefinesthour at gmail.com or message us on Facebook, In the Finest Hour. We have a Patreon for $5 a month. You can donate to us, help us recoup our cost running the podcast, and uh, get access to an excellent chat. I know Eleanor is a member of our Patreon team, so... Yes, I am. It's awesome. That's exciting personal recommendation i guess uh we also have a dis private discord where you can chat live as well as the private facebook group we have a ton of upcoming events that i forgot to write down but we're going to be all up and down the pacific northwest do you two have any events you're coming that you have coming up uh in the next couple weeks i have an rtt next weekend okay there's a gt in sydney next weekend that i'm hoping to go to if my car is fixed in time (laughs) Okay, there you go. Uh, we'll put a links to those in the show notes. And I, I don't know what I'm doing. I think I'm hiding underneath a work rock in the immediate future. So uh, I'd like to thank our sponsors, Dank Muse, for doing our excellent, amazing music. You can find him at SoundCloud, YouTube, and on Patreon. Uh, Ryland Woodrow for doing our art because he's an awesome, amazing person that way. And if you'd like to support the show with your business, yeah, you're certainly welcome to email us, and uh, we can work something out. If you would like to add us, advertise your event, uh, we do those free, so please contact us and we'll figure that out. We'd like to close out with a quick little list of the week, because this is another thing we do. So I actually have two. One of them's really fast. Uh, the, the first list of the week was the wooden spoon from LBO. So this is the list that did the absolute worst. It is a the smallest list possible. It is a one-unit list with a Warhound Titan. He didn't win a single game. He lost all of his games. What a shame. That's pretty funny. I mean, objectively. Yeah. I I, I mean, like, you know, he brought a single model to LVO. Good job, dude. I, I, I don't know how to interpret that, but it, it amused me deeply. Killing more easy, holding more hard. <laughs> yeah. Holding more very hard. Uh, I'm certain the returns where he didn't hold any because he had to move his thing around. Alright, so so I've got a list of this week. It's uh, it's a Necron list, actually, from the Las Vegas Open. It's one of the ones that did quite well. I don't know if it was the top Necron player, but it was the one that caught my attention. Uh, so it is, uh, we're going to start off with a battalion detachment. It is Sawtech, I think it's how it's said. That's the dynasty that ignores the heavy weapon penalty. Uh, it's got Oricon the Diviner, an overlord with the Veil of Darkness and a War Scythe. He's got the Immortal Pride Whirler trait. It's got a unit of Immortals with Tesla Carbines, uh, 16 Necron Warriors, and a 15 Necron Warrior squad. For fast attack, it's got a unit of six destroyers with gauss cannons, a spearhead detachment as well with uh, Nikila, or whatever the hell that said, with a cryptech who's got the Knoptic cloak and staff of light. Um, one unit of five wraiths, one unit of four wraiths, uh, and then three doomsday arcs. This list went four and two at LVO. Nice. <laughs> yeah, no. I've discovered that Sawtech seems to be starting to be the new hotness for Necrons, so... Yeah, the the shooting and not suffering the penalty is really nice. I'd like to thank you all for... Uh, all our listeners for listening. Us uh, ladies talk 40k and talk about the good, back, and ugly of being a female player. Um, we hope that in the future you become more a more mindful opponent of that situation that you've been informed and that you've learned something about the social contract. Which is basically talk it out. Don't 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 pretend an unspoken agreement's gonna work. Just be a good dude. That's the main thing. Yeah, be a good person. This isn't very complicated. <laughs> um, so our teaser next week, when we have a standard episode of In the Finest Hour, is going to be getting on a team. 
is the theme of that episode, so you'll get to hear Josh and Sean's voices again. So this has been me here in the it's me Shailen here in the center, and with my friend on the left. Ah, that's Eleanor here. Thank you for having me. And uh, my other friend on the right. Jessica, thank you again for having me on. This has been In the Fightest Hour. 